Hello, hello. Yo. Oh, I can hear you now. Perfect. Hey, what's up, man? What's going on? Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, no problem, man. Hopefully the audio is clear. This these set of earbuds aren't fantastic, but oh no, it sounds perfect. It sounds perfect. Let me just get my sound. Yeah, no, it sounds great. Thanks for doing this, taking time out of your day. Yeah, it's been a it's been a marathon of a day. This is like a, a brief intermission in <laughs> things. Oh, oh really? Well, damn, thank you for doing it. Busy day for you. Have anything special going on? Um, it's it's more just routine maintenance, life maintenance shit. Like mm-hmm. I, I went and took my bike to get a tune up. I had a I had to wash the rugs. I had to um I also went for like I I've been doing this thing where trying to do this thing where every day I go for like a mile two mile bike ride to start the day off so i did that first it's just been like yeah you know that's what i'm trying to do i went for a run before this and i like it's funny at the like beginning of quarantine i got in i got really healthy and that's like i started this podcast because i got and now as the podcast gets more successful I like lose those daily routines of like working out or meditating or journaling and stuff like that. And I'm trying to get that back. Well, you know, I believe DJ Khaled or Rick Ross either were the ones who said suffering from success. That just sounds like champagne problems. Now you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you know what I'm saying? You gotta kick your, you gotta get that champion mindset back. Uh, yeah. Funny enough at the beginning of quarantine, I, I definitely didn't get healthier in quarantine. I got, um, well, I won't say I got I didn't get physically healthier. Um, I I mean mentally and emotionally, I definitely saw a boom in my health. <laughs> but physically, I just kind of slowly progressed towards the grave as we all do. Oh yeah, but you're back on it. You said you were going for a one to two mile bike ride every morning. That means you're thinking about it. Um, yeah, well, I I was I'm I'm pretty active on the bike. Like I love my bike. It's just last year. Um, I was out, like, I was just out, I was riding my bike, ironically enough, and I, like, got off, I got to Brooklyn Museum, and I was, like, fucking around the museum on the steps, and I banged my knee up, and it, it, I messed it up to the point where I was doing yoga, and I was doing all kinds of, like, stretches, stretching and stuff to, like, you know, like, being active, and I, I messed it up to the point where I couldn't ride my bike for a solid year. Oh, shit. Yeah, and, like, I, you know, for the, the last about two or three months ago, I was in um like physical therapy for it. It was like light. It wasn't like it was light physical therapy, but physical therapy is physical therapy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and towards the end of my sessions, they had me on a stationary bike, and I was like, "Huh, this feels pretty good." And so I just, I just in my mind was like, "I guess this means I can ride my bike." And I started riding my bike around, and sure enough, um, a lot of the soreness and a lot of like the flexibility issues I was experiencing started to kind of like not be an issue anymore so i've been trying to put some time in on the bike to you know help the body get better yeah and that helps the mind i mean i do i feel like i'm so bad at sitting down and writing but when i go out and get my butt like when i run or when i ride a bike i like am most creative i feel like i come up with my ideas then yeah i'm the same way like i i usually write rhymes when i i either take a walk taking a walk is the best way to do it because i have my hands are free but when I'm riding my bike, it's usually when I come up with like stuff and I'll like have to pull over the bike and jot the lines or like hit like a little voice memo and keep going. Um, it, it definitely does. Moving around and, and being active does something for me creatively, though. Like I when I'm in a studio session, it's hard. It's hard for me to just sit in the studio and like write to a beat or whatever. Like that shit is not um, it's just not how I create. I mean, I can, but it's definitely not like my forte. It's your creative yet. process, then. Um, it depends on what we're talking about, which, uh, which just in general or like with writing rap. Yeah. Like how do you get yourself to find the muse? A lot of times the muse is, um, summoned. Like, I don't really, like, I'm not really one of those people that like, I, I can't sit around and wait on inspiration. Otherwise it'll never come. Um, or I'm inspired at the most inopportune moments. Like if I'm driving a car or if I'm 
miles and miles away from my key my studio setup is when I'm like I should make a beat like it's that that level of whatever but um when I'm writing like I was saying I gotta be I gotta be active I gotta be moving around so if I'm walking around that's an Amazon doesn't give me <laughs> so no problem to, no problem get, wait 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 get your package <laughs> Hello? Hello? Well, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. <laughs> the bu the busy day continues. Like that's that's one of the I don't know if it's just I'm the responsive person in the building, but I tend to live in buildings where the delivery people figure out to ring my bell because they can get in the building. Oh, mm. it it always happens to me. And I think it's you want to be always... the good neighbor until it <laughs> until it becomes until it turns bad. I'm I'm also always home in the daytime. Like I'm always home in the daytime. But historically, that's kind of been my thing. But um, yeah, like so, like I was saying, um, sorry about that. No problem. But like I was saying, my my creative process revolves largely around like just motion and activity. Like when my body's moving, my brain is going and. Like a lot of times I don't necessarily write to the beat. I format to the beat. So like I'll think of the BPM or the song topic or if, if it's like, say, a collaboration, working on something for Vaughn right now, he sent me a, he sent me a, a thing. And I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll play it a few times to get the gist of what he's saying, figure out what the beat feels like. And I'll just hold on to that feeling in my mind and just kind of like vibe out to it while I'm moving around the world. And then like, you know, jot a couple bars, pull it up, recite it to the beat make sure it's like make sure it fits and it works and then just keep building off of that um it's i, I would say my writing process right now has evolved to where um i kind of write in these chunks if you will like like four bar chunks and i'll sometimes i'll write the middle first you know what i'm saying like it, it mm -hmm. i'm 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 learning how to edit myself a little bit differently so which and I, I give myself this leeway with the fourth bar of each guest stanza or chunk where I'm like that bar usually is kind of like it's kind of just like a, a cadence and I fill in the words to make sure it lines up with what comes after it. Um and so that's that tends to be how I come up with rhymes. When it's when it's like beats, my process typically is just uh i was gonna joke and say torturing myself until it's done <laughs> but it there is there is just this, this element of like sitting down and doing it you know like like suffering through a couple bad ones like finding the one that's like oh this this one is magic and moving on and like like i'll do like if it's for like if it's for like client work like podcast stuff i'll do like Perfect. So as an example, for the Slow Burn podcast, I did 10 different ver 10 different drafts and they picked the two or three that they liked. So from that point, I had two or three to like lock in on and work on. So I had like these seven other things that are just sitting there. But in the course of coming up with all of those things, it's like a multi-day process, but it's also a thing where no idea is a bad idea. Nothing's whack everything gets worked to a point of completion. Um, and I, I'm speaking primarily about client work and like stuff like that, because when it's personal work, the obstacle that I face is not, I don't finish stuff a lot when it's me because there's no, you know, like when you're the judge and jury, there's there's in the final say and my, my, my my taste and things that I'm interested in and things that I'm into and things that I like and I'm inspired by literally change every day. Like, <laughs> like yeah. what, like I'll be in my disco bag real heavy for like a week. And then I'll hear a, a hear a track that's like Brazilian funk, like, Oh, what's this? And I'll go over there. And then I'll like find out about city pop, like, Oh, what's this? And yeah, you can't really, I'm the same way. And that's what I love about this as a medium is because I can talk to you one day and then have Sam Herring from Future Islands on one day and yeah. then, you know, have Conway on one day and I can just fill all these needs of doing it.
Well, that's the one thing that DJing, like DJing is kind of like at this point, my favorite thing to do. And it's simply because I can scratch every itch. Like I can, I could do a DJ set and like, you know, on Twitch or not on a, it depends, parties, it doesn't really work. But, but if I'm on Twitch or if I'm like, like doing a radio set, like the lot or something, I can, I can literally play all those artists back to back to back. And it makes sense. Um, because it's about a vibe and it's not about keeping people dancing. It's about good music. But if, even if it's on the dance floor, it's, it's the fun of mixing up. It's just the fun of mixing up all the ingredients that you enjoy into one thing and where it looks like on paper, it might sound like a monstrosity to have all those names next to each other. But if you, if you're turned tuned into the frequency and the vibe of everything, you can just make it like this seamless flow where you're like, Oh man, I didn't expect to hear that. But that fits so well, you know? Yeah, well, I think someone said this to me the other day. I put on like a indie rock song while we were listening to rap. And I was like, oh, I hope you guys don't mind me playing this. And they're like, it would be a sad life if you only listen to like one thing. Like, it w- you really, can't, <laughs> you have to expand your mind with everything. Yo, you absolutely do. Life is about expansion and like uh, expansion helps with understanding. But like, I... I was thinking the other day, like a couple of weeks ago, like, like what would it be to just not enjoy music at all? Like, I I know there are people who just don't listen to music. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, there are people who music is not the, their thing. And sure, they have like a favorite song because everybody likes music to a certain extent. But like, like music as escapism or music as the, the utility of music. Like we find the utility in music and the, it's like, there's like an emotional release. There's like, there's so many different things the music does for you as a, as like a just a listener, and to be a person that gets no joy from <laughs> it's got to be. I feel the same way with comedy too. Like there are people who just don't like comedy. Like that's a real yeah. thing. Whether it's stand up as an art form or whether it's anything, there are people, and I like that I can enjoy music as music because i'm a comedian and i like that you come in from the other way like that's why i wanted to yeah. talk to you and so i also i enjoy comedy immensely it's, it's, it's one of those things that i've done i've done stand-up before and i've also you know i've done improv here and there and I, i'm on stage riffing with comedians and kind of like doing you know like i like just conversational i stuff. saw like you do it at uh solid sound with john hodgman shout out john yeah. hodgman. shout out to john hodgman my birthday twin hey <laughs> <laughs> but like it's so the i feel a kinship with comedians just based on if, like if, if you listen to my music and you listen to it all like from beginning to end there's definitely a self-awareness um a sense of humor the name tanya morgan itself you know like that's that's a that's a joke you know, what I'm yeah. like, like, but it's it, like we definitely have always had the skits on our albums. We've always had a really solid sense of humor, and part of our timing is rhythmic, but it's also like comedic timing. Like, like the the similarities exist and they're there. Um, but I know I know a number of people who don't really appreciate comedy in the same way, and I think part of it is because the people that I know that don't appreciate it is because they they're only accustomed to one version of comedy and they only think it exists as one thing. And you know, like if you if you look at like Better Call Saul or Broken like like sometimes you'll see a TV show and you're like, this is a comedy. And you're like, oh it is kind of like a comedy. You know, like yeah. <laughs> like when you start to think about it. And I think that people have there are some people that just don't understand the in the same way there are some people that don't understand the nuance of musical genres. They don't understand the nuance of comedic genres, if you will, because there are all types of comedians where you might you know you might go to a show and depending on the venue, it might be one of those shows where don't sit in the front row, they're gonna they're gonna fucking you gotta yeah. get roasted. And then there are other shows where like if you're sitting in the front row, they'll just ask you questions because they need that banter to like they need that banter as a transition. Or to like kind of like just pull the crowd, just pull like a, a a survey of opinion so they can like strengthen their point, or like maybe they're just building their bit, or they just need they need that interaction. And sometimes people think I know a lot of people. I won't say I know a lot of people, but some people think that the the comedian and crowd interaction is all about this like kind of I'm gonna I'm gonna roast you, 
And now this is the part where I dig into you and that that paints a bad picture of comedy for him. But I've absolutely, I've always loved comedy, man. Like for as long as I can remember, it's always been music and comedy. And I, I didn't, I didn't come into, I didn't come, I didn't come into the comedic, sp- I, I got, I literally, I literally never would have imagined myself being where I am right now. Like this is like being like a DJ at comedy shows and doing comedic things. Like I didn't really see it. And it's probably one of the most pleasantly surprising aspects of my adulthood. <laughs> I bet that's, it's really cool to hear you say that. And it's funny how you describe comedy. Cause I'll say like a Griselda show, people will be like, know it and be scared to go to a show when every I was just on tour with them like every show was the most kind everyone loves the music it's just music fans but you get this idea in your head of what the actual like what you think it is and it ruins the actual art of it you you know am I like hearing you say that and thinking about the Griselda audience and the Griselda experience I've never been to a show but um it, it's by no means like I'm, I would love to go to Griselda show. I've just never have been to one, but, um, and I'm a fan of all those guys stuff. Shout out Conway, shout out Benny, shout out uh, Westside. But the, I think the thing that that's being misaligned here is that people are thinking about everything except for the community that the art exists in. So again, like there are different comedy scenes. You have the club comedians, you have the alt comedians, you have, a touring, like a stadium show, which is different than like a little open mic show. You have all these different aspects. And it's the same with music. It's the same when you think about like what a Griselda fan is or what an Action Bronson fan is or what a Chance the Rapper fan is or what a what a Quelle Chris fan is. Like, like when you enter those spaces and enter those rooms, you're, part of the show is the kinship of the people watching the show. Mm. So part of the enjoyment the same as watching a movie part of the part of the enjoyment of watching a movie in a theater versus at home is the communal experience is the like hearing somebody jumping apart. You're like, you thought that was scary. I just saw you know? <laughs> in the theater and I felt yeah. that same way, especially talking about comedies. Like that's a comedic movie too. Like exactly. It's, it's comedic. And there are people who are just like, I don't want to see that. It's a horror film. And I'm like, com- comedy can exist on several different planes in the same way you get Bob Odenkirk and put him in a, the role of a dramatic actor, or, or Bill Hader and Barry, and put him in the role of a dramatic actor, like or Jason the, Bateman and Ozarks, like exactly, like like the thing about the thing about life in general is it's not all funny, it's not all dramatic, it's not all happy, it's not all sad, and it's the same with comedy. I think um, I forget who was, it was an interview I was watching the other day, and it strengthened the point of some uh, somebody else told me, but. Basically, long story short, the interview, I, I'm blanking on who it was, but they were saying something like, you know, it's not always about being funny. It's just about being interesting. And if you're interesting enough, people will hear you out. And if they find humor in what you're saying, they'll laugh. But if not, at least they'll walk away with something in their in their mind about you specifically. And it relates back to me and Wyatt when we first started hanging out and like started like, you know, like doing shows and stuff together. I remember I was just asking, like, yo, man, as a comedian, like, it, it doesn't really ever weird you out there, like, those moments where they're not laughing and they're just kind of, like, sitting there staring at you. He's like, nah, because they're listening to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, if, if, if they're, if they're, if they're staring at you and they're paying attention to you, that's a good thing. If they're, like, on their phones or doing this, it's a, like, like, turning around, talking to friends, it's horrible because they're not paying attention. You can go five, 10 minutes and, even if you're bombing, if they're paying attention to you, you know, you're, you're, you're doing half the job. And it made me think back to all those times at rap shows where I would be like working so hard to try to get the, like some response from the audience. Cause it's music. You put your heart and soul into it. You might think it's the biggest song in the world. And the crowd is just a standing stare crowd, but you get off stage and they're like, yo man, that was one of the best performances I've ever seen. That was amazing. And I would be like, in my mind at the time, I'm like, well, why come you, why weren't you fucking moving? Why weren't you saying the words? And it's like, oh, you were just listening. Yeah. You were literally, you were literally just listening to the music in real time. And I I was expecting this big reaction and response. And I can't expect that from a person experiencing something for the first time because, you know, that's not how art's consumed. But it definitely, 
like that definitely changed the way that I, I looked at performance and looked at res- the response to performances. Because I would say like, uh, like people would look at Kendrick's album and be like, there's not enough like bangers on it. It's like, that's not what it's for. It's supposed to draw your attention and have you listen to it as a piece. Like, like why when you see him perform and I have such a funny story. I met Sam J when I was 16 years old at, Oh, she was opening up for Wyatt in Boston and Sam J oh, was wow. like one of my first friends in comedy. So it's just funny round circle, but he wants to draw your attention. It's not like I'm going to make easy jokes that make you laugh this many laughs per minute, which is like, whenever I hear a comedian talk about laughs per minute, it pisses me the fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like there. I feel like there was an area or a period of time where that was that was the thing. Now you know, last per minute, and like, like even in terms of just like um, when you think about Mystery Science Theater three thousand or, or stuff like that, where it's just like it might not be last per minute, but it might be jokes per minute, where you just have to like everything is funny and every other sentence is funny, and th- well, that leaves like no sitcom. It's like you watch sitcoms with laugh tracks. It's like joke, maybe it's like joke pause, joke pause. And it's like yeah. Uh, it's it's that's not comedy so, and and funny enough like i'm a huge fan of just i like that rhythm it's comforting but i don't always laugh i just like knowing that i just like i just like knowing that the laugh goes there you know what i'm saying like it's, it's yeah. a, like i like one of my favorite one of my favorite sitcoms is um king of queens i love that one i actually laugh at king of queens uh seinfeld obviously i love seinfeld but um modern family like I like these, I like to watch sitcoms because I like to analyze the writing and analyze the rhythm of shows and stuff like that. And, but a lot of times, you know, I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the target audience per se because I'm not laughing. I'm just watching it. Like my, me and my girl will be sitting down and she'll be like, "You, you don't laugh and get anything." And I'm like, "But I know, but it's funny." <laughs> but it's the same as like listening to Illmatic or something. Like, you of, just, yeah, I think of just, humor kind of like, and I'm sorry if this is a little vulgar, but I think about it like porn. Like some yeah, people yeah. get through all the normal porn and they can only watch like crazy <laughs> shit to get them up. Like I've seen so much comedy, I've listened to so much comedy, I can appreciate and love it. But to get me to like actually laugh out loud, I'm gonna need some crazy shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty good analogy for it too. <laughs> like and it, but and that's the thing. Like I've seen so much comedy. I've seen so much. And I I haven't lost my my I haven't lost my lust for it. I still I still enjoy I still enjoy seeing the same sets. I still enjoy watching people pull out of a bomb or watching people lean into a bomb. I'll enjoy it. Oh I my just God. enjoy Nikki Blazer said it solid sound. You saw that, right? Yeah, <laughs> that was one of my favorite sets of all time. I'm not joking that she went up there and said what she did in front of a Wilco crowd. Like yeah. <laughs> I want to get up at the end of that. <laughs> that and that's the thing. Like, like it, that's why I love comedy is because it's so unpredictable. And like, you know, like I'll, I'll I got DJ from Michelle Buteau and we go around, we do shows and knowing that she has like these knowing that she has bits comedians have bits but also you can summon them or you can just try new shit you can go off the book you can play with the room you can play with the city the the art of it is so unpredictable and it makes me think about how when you're at a live rap show the space between the songs is not stand up but it's for all intents and purposes you're doing crowd work and you're like unless you're just a let's get to the next jam let's get to the next joint um a lot of times especially for artists like me a lot of times you're just trying to pull the audience in, relate to them, take a break from fucking rapping, sit down, take some water. And like, you gotta like do something. You can't just, I mean, you could just turn your back and like let the crowd figure out what, <laughs> like, we're gonna go do another song. I'm gonna get a drink of water. You guys will be fine. Or you can actually have a conversation and relate to the people. And that's one of the like things that I really, in, it's like a bridge between the two for me. Like I, I, I enjoy them both so much. Well, it's, yeah, because it's, that's what I think was lost for a little bit and is now coming back as a fan is I like every rep. I, I really do. Like I'll go to a Playboy Cardi concert. I saw Quelle Chris last week. Like I love the whole scope of it. And but there was this lost thing where everything was on the Internet. So no one learned how to perform proper. Right. Like, and 
now I feel like people are caring more about the performances, but it is like I'll judge an artist on how they are in between songs because it's like this is part of like that's my part of the show that's the thing i (laughs) I can't rap i don't want to rap you know but that's the that's the thing that matters because in all honesty i mean you know you're you're as a at least in my opinion as a as a as a person as a fan you're paying to see the artist but you're also paying to see like the in-person version of the artist not like the cd version where it's like the song fades out, the next song starts, and the guy springs to life. It's like, what happens between the song fading? You know, so like, give me a little backstory. Give me, give me something. Let me just see how you move around stage or some shit. So the space between the songs is literally, it's, I, I, was, I had a show with Jean Grey once, and we were talking about the spaces between the so- songs, and she was just like, yo, I absolutely love the space between the songs. It's, it's, it's it's my favorite part of the show at this point because the songs, they're there. They have they they happen. The things in the songs happen. You rap and people rap along, blah. But the space between the songs is the like, what's gonna happen? We don't fucking know. Yeah, <laughs> it's like so. And I I think that was like you know Gene doesn't really do rap performances anymore. Performances anymore in the same way. Like so, that was in the time when she was pulling her thing apart, and I think she was finding more comfort in that space and in that ability to just kind of like it's just unpredictable you know and that's what the beauty of art is that's why all respect to seinfeld but i don't i don't like that he just will do the same hour and try to perfect the same hour to this day and of course he's the greatest but it's like i go to see a comedian and when i go to a show i want to see who you are in that moment with the material you might have been working on yeah but i don't want to be like a monologue yeah, and that's I'm not really a fan of that either. Like, I if any if if I didn't know that about I don't Seinfeld, think Seinfeld's listening to this podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I heard he's a big fan, man. He, he he's his people his people DM me like you're gonna be on Sam Buck's podcast. I heard, you know, check it out. But no, I didn't. I honestly didn't know that about him, and it makes me curious about like. So he'll just go to cities and keep doing like literally his like same hour that his only hour that he has. Like he has other bits, but he has one hour that he always does. Oh, that's that's kind of boring. Exactly. Yeah. But if that's I mean, you know, like he he's a different era, a different age, I guess. I don't know. Cause again, like I'm I'm a comedy fan, um, but I'm more rap than comedy. Yeah. So like I'm I wasn't studying comedians. I, 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 my, my study of comedians kind of started like recently in the last like 10 years. You know what I'm how saying? How did you get, like, what was your first, like, how did you get into the comedy world? Like, how did that happen from you not believing at all that it was ever going to be part of your life to where you are now? You blame Wyatt. Just blame Wyatt. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, so long story short, well, no, this is a podcast. Long story long. Yeah, long story long. Um, <laughs> I met Wyatt maybe like 12 years ago. I don't know. It was, no, it was longer than that. Like 13. It was, we, we've known each other for a while and he was doing stand up, and I was just doing shows and doing music and stuff. Um, and when we became friends, you know, I, I started like, I had a blog that I, I would, I ran and like the blog was just kind of humorous. It was slice of life shit. It was podcast before podcast, that type of stuff. Um, and we just ended up having a friendship where we would like go hang out places and I would go like do, see him do sets. And then um, we started doing this thing called shouting at the screen. I'm, the timeline's a little hazy because all of it kind of happened at the same time. But we had a show, we have a show called shouting at the screen where we screen um, black exploitation films and just kind of riff on them. And that was around the time where he was like, you should, he was like, let's do this. We, we came up with an idea for it, and then I was just kind of like, I don't know if I'll be good at this, man. I'm, I'm not a comedian. He's like, you'll be fine. Trust me. You'll be fine. It's just like, you're funny. Trust me. You're funny. So we were doing it, and I'm like, okay. I, I started finding my, like, getting comfortable in it. And then he asked me to DJ uh, Night Train, his comedy show. And that was where 
So shouting at the screen was once a month. It's once a month. It used to be once a month. Now it's quarterly. But and shouting at the, about the New Yorker article. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm officially a New Yorker now. I'm a cartoon. <laughs> um, that's kind of crazy. But um, yeah. So when he asked me to DJ the comedy show, it became. It was like, all right. It was two things happened. Thing number one was I just started DJing when he asked me to DJ the comedy show. And I remember being like, I remember being like, man, I don't, I don't know. I'm not really the best DJ. I don't know. He was like, nobody's coming for the music. You'll be fine. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I guess true, true, true. So that persuaded me to do it a little bit more. And also part of the part of Night Train was just me and him interacting. So he would come out. And we would just talk for like five minutes or so. And he would like do like a, a new bit he was working on. Then he would bring out comedians. We would talk between the sets. And that loosened me up to the point where I understood a little bit more about um, just interacting on stage with people and interacting on stage with people and different people and also being able to match their energy or compliment what they're saying or, you know, just knowing when to fall back and knowing when to like, jump in it it was it was more or less like a it was more or less like a um fuck why am i blanking it was it was like going to ucb yeah it was like, it was like I, improv. I, yeah yeah it was like improv. i, I did because I, I went to ucb for sketch writing classes because i was like well i'm doing improv damn near every monday i don't know if i need to do an imp, uh, improv thing but it was it was an education and in, in comedy in a sense and that was that was pretty much how i started exploring that that side of things so blame Wyatt and you ended up taking classes and shit like you really and now it's a big part of your life yeah because I mean like like I was saying I I just I love comedy I love tv shows I love I love writing I love watching people do stand-up I love weird alt comedy I love the I love comedy to the point like again I watch it and don't laugh I'm just watching it because I'm like analyzing like fucking game tape or some shit what um, type of artist did you think you were going to be like younger when you were starting out or how how old were you when you started seriously making music i was yeah i was a late i was a late bloomer i was in college like when i when i started making it seriously i was like my freshman year of college and part of that was because i didn't know what else to do i was like i was like yeah. i'm not gonna this college shit is whatever man I, i'm let's get some music popping but um i think that i thought that i was gonna be man like nelly or some shit really like, yeah <laughs> I'm, you got. I'm, I mean, I'm I from love the... Nellyville. Nellyville <laughs> had a great debut album. I will not lie, but I is... mean, <laughs> it's, it's it's weird, man. Like, like, so I started when I started out. When I started out making stuff, I taught myself how to make beats listening to like Operation Doomsday and Slum Village. Uh, and I'm fantastic. so sorry for being rude. I didn't pay for zoom this month so i'm trying to upgrade it while you're talking but i am listening <laughs> <laughs> it's fine i see the little i see the real countdown clock going i know i'm it's like i could feel the panic sitting in and i didn't want to say anything but i i have to say something while i'm doing this so i am listening i'm it's, sorry about that and if, if we get disconnected i'll just call back but um so you were saying doom and yeah operation doomsday and fantastic volume four were the two things that i was listening to the most when i was teaching when i was learning how to like make beats and write songs and what were you doing before college like what did you think your path was i was lost man i'm not even gonna front like i, I didn't i didn't i didn't think i didn't think that far ahead i mean part of me I, so i i had a full ride for civil engineering at the University of Cincinnati, like a four-year, oh, really? five-year scholarship. Yeah, and because I, I, I earned all these college credits from being a part of this math and science program in high school. So I just thought I was going to, like, just have do whatever, engineer, and a civil engineer. That was what I was on track to be. It wasn't what Did I wanted to Did you want to do be. that, or were you just... I just was following the road that was ahead of me. It, it, I definitely didn't have a strong desire to do it. 
it wasn't something that I was like, man, I can't wait to build a fucking bridge. It was just, well, I, I'm earning these credits and this seems like something. It, it felt like a way out. You know what I'm saying? Like when I say a way out, I meant like I wasn't good at sports. Music didn't seem like a thing that I could do because there were there was no blueprint for it. There, I, there was no industry in Cincinnati, at least that I, at least for hip hop. I mean, sure, there's rock, there's funk. There's all types of other music industries, James Brown, King Records, but for the most part, there was no um, identifiable like roadmap for it. I mean, you I, have I, to tell the people around you you're doing something. I know, like, I get what you mean. Yeah, and like, I, I did know a couple of like my my friend, uh, Main Flow, part of this group called Mood in Cincinnati, and they they were like one of the biggest things in the city. Like they, they high tech came from mood. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, he did, he worked with them. There was a fun, weird story. There were two high techs. There was high tech and mood. And then there was high tech that, that everybody came to know. The high tech and mood was a white guy. Oh, was, really? I didn't know. I thought you were talking about high tech. There, no, was, there were two guy. of them. All right. It, uh, I'm, I was going to say, don't quote me on this, but I'm literally being recorded on a podcast. I'll fact check it. I'll fact check it. But no, there's always two. If you Google Sam Buck, there's a Forbes article <laughs> it's called The Next Big Gay Country Star, Sam Buck. Hey, you're on the come up, baby. That's what I'm talking about, man. And he's from Massachusetts, too. So I'm like, damn, Listen. I got to get more famous than him. <laughs> or you guys can you can combine fame. That will, I would do want to get fun. him on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is that would be fantastic. Please get him on the podcast. But, All right, back to the white high tech. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, mood was main flow, Dante, and high tech. And high tech was a white guy with locks. And Talib Kwali was also very much tied into the the mood thing like he's all over their first album and i, I feel like i should google this now but i'm not whatever but so main flow was like i'm he was the only person him and this guy fat john from this group called the five d's who they they didn't really break in the same way that mood broke but they they achieved some acclaim you know like they toured and did all the things they they these were the two only blueprints that i saw for make having a career in the music industry and even with them i still just i didn't understand it i was like i don't know how i'm interested in it but i don't know how you do that like you know i was freestyling breakdancing doing all the shit so you were doing all that while you were saying you're going to be a civil engineer yeah yeah i mean you know like it was i was interested in hip-hop i was interested in i was i was breakdancing doing graffiti i was doing all the things that didn't really happen in cincinnati so graffiti in Cincinnati for me was just vandalism. It wasn't, it wasn't like these big, beautiful pieces. It was just spray paint shit and trying to hang out with friends who were into it. And they would, I had a couple friends who we were, we kind of respected the art of it. And then you would have like a, a guy who would kind of come an interloper who would spray paint cars. And it's like, man, that's not, that's, that's just vandalism guy. You, yeah. You're making it hot, but you know, shit like that. Um, And that was, that was like high school and then leaving high school and going into college, colleges, high school is so carefree. Anything goes, you know, you're fucking out there in the world, finding your way. College is when it starts to set in like, oh, I have to do something. And my first year, I went to U University of Cincinnati for civil engineering. For a year, I had a scholarship. The first year there, I just, I was just getting in trouble. Like literally just my grades weren't great. Um, I got, Graffiti got me in trouble. I was smoking a lot of weed, trying to sell weed because you know that's what you do in college—you sell weed. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I was, I was just kind of like a, a mess, to be completely honest. Like I wasn't doing good, and I opted—I I opted to go to go away to North Carolina for school to go down there to a school, North Carolina A&T, like a historically black university, and for their arts program. Their arts program wasn't like this accredited, big, robust program. What it made why? Well, that's like, because that's a big change in your life. And that change then is the catalyst for where you are now. 
It's it's one hundred percent the catalyst. I want to say it it was pretty arbitrary. Um, when I was in high school, we went on this thing called the uh, it was like a black college tour where they would just we would, a couple of students would get on a bus like I want to say like 20, 30 of us, and they would take us on a tour of like five or six historically black colleges. And I remember we went to North Carolina and and I was down there like, oh, this seems dope. I like this place. And then when it was that was just the place that I was like, I want to go there. It was fun when I was like, <laughs> like literally there was, there was no level of academic research put into this. It was just like, Oh, the vibe. I went off with the vibes. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm all about energy. I'm a fucking <laughs> spiritual white bitch. I do yoga. I, I love that. shit. I, I fuck with it. I fuck. I'm feeling the vibes. You know what I'm saying? That's why I was just like, Oh, you want me on the podcast? Cool. <laughs> Your name is Sam Buck. It's got to be dope. It's dope. You thought I, I was a country star. You thought I <laughs> <laughs> But so like when I um when I got down there, you know, like I, I just didn't look into it. I didn't when I got down there, I was the only person from Cincinnati. Like nobody else was from Cincinnati except for this guy, Elias, who ended up being a group with me. Oh, but, wow. And it turns out we were we knew each other from high school because again, like my idea of graffiti, a lot of times bordered on vandalism. One time we went to his high school's dance. Cats from my school went to the, his high school's dance. He went to a private school and we just like did graffiti all over their fucking school. Um, so a little bit of history about the dance is that he went to Xavier high school and the high school in Cincinnati, we have you have Xavier University the College and Xavier the High School, much like white high tech and black high tech. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. but, uh, but uh, so like the high school was predominantly white, a lot of white kids, and this dance was one of the only one of the only dances that like the the black kids got together and like got to throw a dance. They threw a party, and we came through and fucked it up, and we fucked up the parties from they weren't allowed to do them anymore because we fucked up their party. Oh, no. (laughs) You just said it was a bad precedent that they probably put on people that had nothing to do with it. (laughs) So we get down, we get down to, uh, and like, mind you, we, we knew each other. We knew of each other. We just weren't friends because of that. Clearly that was like, that's not how you meet a person. You know what I'm saying? It's like, fuck you. I don't want to meet you. I don't see, that's know you. like, I feel like that would be in a movie. I'd see that. <laughs> and it's like in the scene, it's like you hate each other for some dumb shit, like early in life. And then later you, oh, we we're at the same college together. And literally. So when we get to college, I remember, I remember like, I don't remember. Um, I don't remember how specifically we hooked up or found each other, but it just so happened that we bumped into each other and we, you know, we started talking. And he's just like, after a couple of days of just being forced interaction, because like you're the only other person from Cincinnati here. We we should be friends. He was like, Man, I used to hate you, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he told me the story. And I'm like, so uh, again, I'm getting the story from him. And I'm like, we was just high. And uh, we were just, we got up, we were high, a little drunk. We came to y'all party, had the cans on us. Niggas got busy. We didn't. We wasn't trying to like fuck up your whole academic experience. He's like, I know, man, but you, you're a cool dude. Like you're a cool dude. Now that I, now that I know you, but like, I didn't fuck with you. So, me and him ended up like becoming best friends. And like at that point, we both had this love of hip hop. And like, I was also, he, I didn't, I didn't know I had this perception, but. I was also known for being able to freestyle really well. I didn't, I mean, I, I just thought I could rap, but him, he was just like, yeah, man, you was one of the dudes who like, whenever you would come around to decipher and shit, niggas would be like, uh-oh, this, this body is, it's coming down. So he, we already had like a, a read on each other for rap and we just kind of started fucking around freestyling. I, I found when I was home in Cincinnati, this is a very rambly story. I'm sorry. No, um, I, I I love it. And I have a follow-up question that I'm sticking to, but I am listening. <laughs> when, when when I was I was home, when you hit me up to do the podcast, I went home, I went to Cincinnati for the month of July, uh, just to be around my mom and take my, my kid and everything. And I found a box of cassette tapes. And at least 10 of those tapes 
90 minute cassette tapes, mind you, are just me and Ilias freestyling nonstop. Just wow. this time capsule shit where I'm, you know, like it's, it, some of it's some of it is just like flow state where you like the words are connecting and it's fabulous. And other shit is like, I got a vacuum cleaner. I got a vacuum cleaner. Like just, just whatever the <laughs> fuck is happening in front of you. Just like, you know how that, but it's like listening back to it, man. I completely forgot about the person that, you know, like the person that, I, that I'm talking about going away to college and, and like, you know, deciding to just randomly go to A&T. Like I forgot who that person was. Cause you know, you get so far, you get so far away from who you once were to be who you are today. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that's, that's a smooth. But you don't believe like there was no part of you. That's a little nugget that you're like, I followed what I wanted to when I got to this point. Oh, Even yeah. Through all the lost paths and whatever, I got to this thing where maybe I didn't know exactly where it was going to lead me, but I did know that if I followed. Yeah, I, 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 I 100% believe that because, again, like in that same box of tapes, and when I think about it, I was the person that, like, I, I wasn't into sports. I wasn't into, I wasn't, I, I just loved music and I loved comedy. Like I, when, even back then, like I wasn't studying comedy in the same way I was studying music, but you know, like I'm absolutely Robert Townsend's uh, Partners of Crime was the shit. Eddie Murphy, Sinbad. I was watching Comic View. I was like, I was into comedy and I was into music and I was into art. And I pretty much just followed the things that I was interested in. And even when they started failing me financially to the point where it's just like, you got to get a job that's not necessarily on your path. It, it didn't feel like a, it didn't feel like a detour. It felt like a resting point. It felt like, okay. Cause like, you know, when I would have those jobs where it's just like, all right, I'm at an office. I don't want to be in this is some bullshit. I would just write raps. I would just find ways to just do what I was going to do regardless. And it listening to those tapes, man, it was, I, I definitely feel like I honored that person. And I feel like that person, if if you if we could build a time machine, or not even build a time machine, if that person could walk through my apartment door right now and be like, what the fuck? This is crazy. Like, I mean, sure, he would. That's beautiful and reaffirming and reassuring that you, I, when I was, sorry, finish your thought. Finish your thought. I was, I was going to say, sure, the, the, the time traveler from 1995 would probably be weirded out by technology. But once we got past that hurdle, once we got past the fact that I'm having a conversation with a piece of glass that folds over and I told him like, you know, this, and I showed him like, this is you on this album. And this is you on a stage doing comedy with Smite. Like he would, he would be like, that makes sense. But he would also be like, holy shit, this is crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, because it definitely, it definitely wasn't far fetched. Like I was also, a, I was a pretty, I was a pretty well-liked person in high school. I was, I was prom king. Two oh, years wow. Ago. I was one of those people. Oh, wow. was, Mr. Popular over here. Mr. Popular. I was, I was, <laughs> you know, not, not even to take it to that, but in the yearbook, I was supposed to be Mr. Uh, most most popular or whatever, but the guy who ran the yearbook made himself most popular and gave me best dressed, which... What do you think he's doing now? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he was... You know what? You know what? He, we were Facebook friends because we were Facebook friends until I left Facebook. But I, I think he was... He was just living his life, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was... Popular he still does house, the high know? school yearbook and still puts himself as most popular. Who's this? Who's this thirty-year-old dude? He would. He would never admit to it either. Like I, I remember grilling him like, man, because it was by vote, and I'm just like, that was the first election fraud. That was it. <laughs> we got to get. <laughs> we got to get. He was the first Trump. Was, his name was Danny. What, what? What was his last name? Danny. What? I don't know, Danny Trump. And I Danny was fucking Trump. Yeah, I was about to like, don't say his name. <laughs> I was I was I was uh Donald um Clinton, if you will. I won the popular vote. 
I, uh, I, when I was 16, I was lost and I wasn't that popular, but I was lost. And when I was 16, I got in a really bad hockey accident trying oh, to shit. impress a girl. And I had to lay in a dark room for a month and, uh, I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't do anything. And all I did was listen to podcasts and stand up. And when I came out of that, I realized that's who I was and what I'd become. And when I hear this, your story, I want to know what is your relationship with omens, with divine intervention, with God? Like, where do you where do you think it's all random? Where do you sit in this following your path? Um, I, I think I have a complicated relationship with um, religion. I was raised Baptist. I was raised in the church, you know, black black family shit every Sunday going to church, Bible study and all that shit. And when I went away to college, you know, like part of going away to college when you're raised in like a religious family, like it, it wasn't it wasn't like my family's not religious zealots, but they're definitely like religious people. Um, so when I went away, it was just like you got to find a, you got to find a, a home church out there to go to church. I never found a church. I kind of used it as a I just I broke away from religion. I believe in I believe in faith and I believe that. I believe that, you know, if if you if you believe in something enough, like like religion some there's some religion that there's some aspects of religion. I'm losing this. I've I've lost my train of thought, but all I'm saying is that <laughs> this is an omen that I've that I, I don't have I don't have my shit together. No. But um no, I, I definitely I believe and this is faith. also a confusing topic that it's you can't wrap your head around in a conversation it's, over Zoom. But when I hear a story like that and I relate to something that's so crazy, the chances of it happening are so minimal. And it happens time and time again with people I interview that they just. Well, you know, like I, I, I was I was leading up to the leading up to this, like when I got to college, there was a part of me that. I just I was just trying to find answers. Like I went through like a I had like a let's call it a mental break, if you will. Um and I didn't have any sort of resources for health, like mental health care. And it was also one of those things where mental health wasn't as sexy as it is now. So <laughs> like, yeah. you know, saying saying you're depressed and saying you you need a therapist to talk to, people were just looking like, what the fuck is so I just kind of kept it all inside and started looking for answers for myself. So I started buying, I bought the Quran, I bought the lost books of the Bible. I bought all types of books trying to figure out religion and just trying to figure out belief and faith. Cause I was just like, life can't be a random assortment of things happening. There has to be some structure to this. There has to be some answers. And if I, when I remember going to church and asking like the pastor at the church, just questions about life and shit and like not getting answers that I wanted. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, yeah. well, I'm not, I'm not coming back here. I'm, I'm going to figure shit out on my own. Um, and long story short, nope, long story long. Um, I believe in belief, which sounds like a bumper sticker and it sounds silly. You could make it. I'll say <laughs> I, you know, I think I think that that's the thing about religion is that it's just wanting something to believe in. And it's it's wanting something. Faith in general is prayer. It's, it's just belief. Like there are people that say prayer works. If you believe in anything, including yourself enough, you know, you can, you that, can do anything. I so, think that's the best answer I've heard of it, because I had an. I don't know how far you go into this or whatever, but I had an ego death and a hallucination when I was in a really dark place. And that gave me the belief in myself that then set me on this path to really take myself seriously. So I didn't, I didn't have, I don't know what the specifics of your ego death was, but I definitely, I think that's, I think, what is an ego death? So I did DMT. And oh, okay, yeah, I was, I was really in a depressed state. And when it, it just if you're not spiritual, whatever, it's like a near death experience. And I reacted afterwards like a near death experience where I was like, life is finite. I can't wallow in my sadness. If I'm going to take myself seriously, I have to do it right now. 
And I yeah. did that. And I did and I have been since the you know, since that trip. Like, but it's yeah, the belief in the belief. I don't know. I could have just done you know what I mean? I just did a, yeah, a hallucinogen like that at the end of the day. Like, you know, I, I feel like because there's so many different types of religion. And you know, like there are so many people that weaponize religion. And there are so many people that like just, you know, use religion as um as like a a band-aid or like something just something to like cover up other things but the through line for every religion is just faith and belief and there's a god and that's what's supposed to explain all of the random shit that happens and all of the things that happen but when you really boil it down for me anyway i just look at i just look at the fact that you know if if your intentions are pure and your actions are well meant and you believe that things and you believe in you believe in yourself and you believe in the things that you're doing um you know it it can it can lead to it can it can lead you to where you need to be well at like, the end of the day it's all belief in yourself Every, right. like you just have to believe in yourself cuz that sounds like a that sounds like a bumper sticker too but it's true like even even like uh like so um what I was saying, I had to like a mental break and I came back to Cincinnati. And when I was in Cincinnati, I again, I was just lost. I didn't know what to do and I had to get a job. So I ended up being a substitute teacher for a while. And I was very much, it was like, it was like paranoid. I was just a super paranoid, anxious person riddled with anxiety, like super paranoid, just kind of like a, a jittery, scared animal. And when you start, you know, I, I was, I went to do uh, substitute teaching and I got in a classroom with just like kids, like second graders, kindergartners, first graders who literally you can be in there anxious and upset and paranoid. Like none of that shit fucking matters when a kid is like, I peed on myself. Yeah. Like you like, or, or, or Mr. Mr. Donald, she hit me. Or like whatever minutia of the classroom that's going on, you have to step outside of yourself. And I, I, I think that, I think that part of what happened for me was just that like, I went too deep, like I went inside, like too far inside my thoughts and kind of got stuck in there. Um, I'm a very self analytical. I'm a very analytical person. I analyze myself at all times. I pick myself apart. Um, I'm always thinking about the world around me and thinking about how I'm interacting with it and how it's affecting me. And there just there there was just a moment in teaching where it just became where it was like none of this shit is about you. This none of this shit is literally how you respond to things is one thing, but one thing, but the things you feel like are attacking you is not it's not about it's not attacking you. It's just the world being the world, you know. And that's so funny that you say that because th that's the first piece of advice you gave me on this podcast is don't like what is champagne problems is that what you call yeah. it <laughs> champagne like, problems literally that's what cuz <laughs> that is it it's i i'm wallowing when i just need to that's not the problem the problem isn't going you shouldn't go more inward you have to go outward you have yeah, to like, you have to grow instead of shrink yep you know like uh i i just feel like you can control what you can and whatever you can't control you just and find that, ways to you find Mr. ways to. You were Mr. You were the most popular, you know, got voted in that whatever prom king in high school to having panic attacks and having, you know, a mental uh, breakdowns in college because you didn't. know, like people don't realize that those people are you're still going through problems. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it, it doesn't stop either. It, it definitely, you just learn how to deal with a little bit, deal with it a little bit better. Like I, I haven't done DMT. I have, I am going to try my first mushroom trip soon. I haven't done mushrooms. Oh, are you? Soon. Oh, like, so I, if you remember, uh, I want to hear about it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but, but and so part of the, I, even with, even with my relationship to drugs is like, I used to smoke a lot of weed, like from somewhere in high school, I want to say around 11th grade up until 
I graduated college. And part of the reason why I stopped smoking weed in college was, was because I started just having deep anxiety and paranoia to the point where I, I couldn't go leave the house at times. And if I did leave the house, I was just, it was, I was fucked up. Like I, that's why I say I had a, I say I had a mental break because I don't know how to explain it. And it, it's so far in the rear view that I don't know, I don't properly remember it, but I know that it led me to stop smoking weed, like cold turkey. I just quit. And, and, and this is coming from a guy who would smoke like, I'm going to wake up and face a blunt. Then the whole day, I'm smoking like three, four blunts a day, just constantly smoking, smoking, smoking. And I just quit cold turkey to try to just deal with whatever was happening in me. And I want to say over the last five or six years, since weed started becoming um, legal and scientific, and now that you can buy a box of edibles with, the strain and the milligram, and the dosage and blah, blah. You can cut an edible in the quarters and know what you're taking. I'm cool now. Because I was just smoking some, I didn't know what the fuck I was smoking. It was just like, here's a bag of weed. Roll it up. Is this sativa, indica? I don't know. Yeah. Who gives a fuck? Smoke it. But so my relationship to, I always say that I wish, I always say that like, if drug, if weed would have been like it is now back then, I would have been Probably worse off. <laughs> yeah. I'm at I the tail been. end of what you're talking about. I smoke so much weed and I feel like I don't know what my relationship is to it anymore. You know, like that's that's the thing. I you know, I, I would recommend just taking a break from it. Cause I'm I'm honestly I'm a it's it sounds like a lesser, a much lesser drug, but I'm at that I'm at that point with coffee right now. Mm, no caffeine um, is I'm drink I have gotten, yeah. Caffeine's real. That's real. Caffeine is real. Like, and, and it's not, it's, it has nothing to do with like me feeling nervous or feeling like I drink too much. I don't drink an obscene amount of coffee. I drink like maybe at, at tops, I drink three cups of coffee throughout the day, if that. Some days I'll have one. But my thing is just, it's less about, it's just compulsion at this point. Like, literally during the pandemic, it would be, going outside to get coffee would be my my break like uh let me uh, let me take a break from doing nothing all day. <laughs> go yeah. get coffee but it was not it wasn't taking a break it was just it was just a reason to go outside because you know we were fucking in the house couldn't see anybody i'm like let me just walk to the coffee shop get a coffee sit outside and i'll go back in the house and continue zooming and shit um but i'm at the point now where i'm just just drinking it you know what i'm saying like i don't mm-hmm. i need sometimes i need it in the morning and sometimes I just get it because I want it. But for the most part, I don't like depending on a thing. I don't like I don't like feeling like I can't function without something. Um, so, you know, I might. I'm probably going to take a break from it, from coffee. And like even taking a break from anything is good because you kind of reset your relationship to it and you kind of figure out who you are without it. Um. Yeah, I would say I would say take a break from it. Yeah, I I appreciate I appreciate that because it's so fun. Like as I as you asked, what is this podcast going to be? It's a conversation like I I really do want to know because that is something that I've had this deal. I hope people listening have maybe deal with it, too. But like I've been thinking about recently, because like even with uh, so my relationship to weed, I, I do edibles and the edibles that I do are comically low dose and I don't give a fuck who is like, you're not even getting high. I like, like I, I, my dose is like 2.5 milligrams, sometimes a five. But again, I'm a person that I use them. I use them as sleep aids. I use them to calm anxiety. I use them sometimes to relax or whatever and focus, but I'm not really like anything over a five. I get that, like that, like, tingly gut paranoia anxious See, when i flew I, to I la last month i took 1500 the fuck man my boy made pills there was literally a 1500 milligram weed pill and it how, was like, how strong, like, like <laughs> so how does that feel like how when you do it like is it like a are you like just a, fucking zooted yeah so i was reading 
I read maybe half of American Gods and don't remember like the last <laughs> two thirds of that book because I read it on the plane. Just I felt like I was in Top Gun. I'm just like trying to hold the G force. <laughs> I I remember the first time we went to Denver one time, me and a bunch of my friends, and got stocked up on edibles and shit. And that was like when I first started back for like a little week. So I smoked a little bit. I don't like smoking, but I smoked a little bit. And they all had edibles and shit. They all had gummies. And we were in the airport coming home. And like they saw the, the drug dog come out. And he just like ate all those edibles. <laughs> Yo, he was so fucked up. He was so high on the plane. He was on the plane. You can't like, do anything on a plane. You just have to <laughs> sit there and deal with it. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I'm like 10 milligrams. So for me, like, you know how you said you were like, 10 milligrams would be like a 1500 for me. Like I, I last time I did 10, did it like a, a regular gummy for people. <laughs> I remember having conversations with random voices in my head. It was a lot. Was, <laughs> <laughs> like I can't do that again. Can't do it again. I don't want to feel that way again, but I do like after this, I'm probably going to take one. Uh, I got this. I got some You're like after this conversation, I need to relax. <laughs> I need to relax. Nah. <laughs> well, my day, I mean, like, you know, this conversation is a nice break in my day. Immediately after we hang up, I have to go get my bike and do 50 other things again. I got to fold the laundry. I got to cook. I'm a man about town. Tonight, I'm going to have, I got some salmon. Oh, I've been. Fucking with salmon heavy recently. I had it with some orzo and spinach and a Mediterranean sauce. I got I got some arugula salad. You know what I'm saying? Got a little mm-hmm. bit of. I don't I don't know. I think I might just have salmon and salad, which sounds very boring. But I've been. I need to go grocery shopping, so I'm just kind of eating the stuff that's around. Man, thank you so much for doing this. It really means a lot that you took your time out of your day. And man, uh, thanks for having me. I'm I'm sorry that I was so rambly and babbly, and I I don't know if I. I don't know if I gave a good, concise answer about my relationship to omens and religion, but and faith. That's but, a weird know. ass question. I understand that it's a hard question but, to ask someone. But I just want to say, look out for those believe and belief bumper stickers that I'm coming out with. <laughs> You're going to be a millionaire off those. <laughs> the full sticker is going to say, well, you know, sometimes I don't. Dot dot dot. It's just that if you dot dot dot. <laughs> I mean, really, if you think dot dot dot, believe in belief. <laughs> I would buy that. You gotta make t shirts. <laughs> the t shirt, the t shirt version is even longer. It's just, <laughs> it's it's like, just a transcript of the whole podcast. <laughs> it's like that it's like that Fiona Apple uh album title. It's just literally words <laughs> nonstop. <laughs> when the pawn strikes. <laughs> Do you want to promote any? I didn't even ask you about stuff you have. Co- I didn't really. Like, I didn't, do, you have, do you want to promote anything? <laughs> um, What do I have to promote? Let's see. Shouting at the screen is always it's, it's a quarterly event that happens at Nighthawk Theater in Prospect Park. The next one's October 28th. Oh, I'll be um, there. I'm going to try to make that. To, I'm going to try yeah, to come yeah. to that one. And if you want to hear some music, we got Don and Vaughn from Tanya Morgan is out to listen to. And there's also an album by me called Space by Don Will. Um, yeah, and other than that, it, it look on my Instagram to see where I'm DJing it, you know? Man, thank you so much. Good luck with the rest of your day. Thanks, man, and good luck with yours. Of course, yeah, hopefully we uh, meet each other in person sometime. Absolutely. All right, peace, bro. Peace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah,